Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. For the second half of these interviews, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash pryingpriest. But for now, enjoy the show. Welcome, Nina, to the Prying Priest Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, This podcast is all about investigating why people believe what they believe, and not so much the intellectual ideas or what you think you believe, but maybe how you behave or how the other people around you behave and how that influenced you growing up and all that kind of stuff. So I'm hoping we can uh, explore uh, some of your journey today. Awesome. What is... How did we get connected? I honestly don't know how we get connected. How we got connected. Yeah. You know what happened? I uh so I lived for my first 2 years of marriage with my husband um in Micah House. So we lived in the attic and we facilitated the home. Micah House is a home for newly arrived refugee claimants in Hamilton. Um and so we would always uh facilitate the dinner times and at dinner times uh we would have volunteers come and bring the meals and sit with our guests and with us. And uh, a bunch of the monthly meal volunteers were uh, some of your friends. So Erica Roblin and uh, Dan Oberwall and uh, folks who are now part of St. Maria uh, Parish. And so, um, yeah, I got talking with them. I'm really interested in theology personally, and so is my husband. And so uh, we don't know very many, uh, folks from the Orthodox church. And so we would always talk and Dan loved talking with us about theology. (laughs) And, uh, um, I go to school in Toronto, even though I live in Hamilton. And so I would get rides from, uh, from, uh, some folks to, to the university of Toronto, uh, from that group. And so, um, yeah, slowly started hearing more, uh, about St. Maria and then, uh, I was doing a project this summer uh, for a class on Christian worship uh, about a tradition that's different from my own. And so I, um, that was when I reached out to you, uh, Yuri, to hear more about orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so you are currently still enrolled at uh, Wycliffe. Yeah, Is that right? right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I graduated from Trinity College. Yeah, that's right. So, these are two Anglican colleges for our listeners that don't know that are right across the street from each other. Just a simple two lane street. Yeah. But uh, one of the sayings is that it's the widest street in Toronto. <laughs> I think that's true. It's you know, it's it's the uh, proximity breeds animosity. Sometimes I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> well, there's no animosity here. No, none. At, none. At least not yet. If you want the animosity, please wait for the Patreon exclusive interview. <laughs> That's where all the spice comes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm interested. What what were your first, what were your impressions of orthodoxy before you had even like really thought about orthodoxy ever or been exposed to it? If that makes any sense. Yeah, honestly. Okay, so I think growing up, I didn't even know about. I didn't know what orthodoxy was. It, it was. Um, I think that when I heard the word orthodoxy, I thought more about like the other. Uh, way that you would use that word. Like I would think like right 
right teaching, like an Orthodox church would be a church that uses the Bible a lot in my setting mm. since I grew up reformed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, so a good Orthodox Christian church, you know, would probably be a reformed one <laughs> for, for growing up. Um, and then, uh, I, uh, I did theology in my undergrad. I studied at Redeemer. And so I think that at that point I still wasn't familiar with like, I, I probably hadn't met an Orthodox person or certainly not, you know, listened to them. And so, uh, what I would think of when I would think of Orthodoxy is, oh, those are the people that split off from us in, and like, a thousand AD, um, or whatever, 1054. And then, um, that was all I really knew is those are the people that split off from us. I think that we split off from each other. I think it was mutual. I don't know. (laughs) I I grew up being like, you guys split off from us. (laughs) We'll never know. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, but you know, there was one, there was one teacher, one professor at, at Redeemer. I didn't have any classes with him, but I would hear his lectures, uh, Jim Payton. And he's very interested in either Eastern, like in the Eastern church, um, and has a real, uh, a real respect for orthodoxy. And he, his inclination would be that we have a lot to learn from each other, which I think he's right about. <laughs> and, uh, so it was, kind of, I think it was at that point I was taking my capstone and I was reading some of Jim Payton's, uh, material and, and thinking, wow, like these folks actually, I think, yeah, again, have something that we've lost. And I think a lot of it is that, um, that whole reality that we're shaped by behaviors and we're shaped by liturgy and we're, we're not as much shaped by ideas, but us folks uh, from the Western church really like to focus on ideas. And so that, I think that that was some of um, what I started to think more about when I thought about orthodoxy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that that's, I think that that's what I would say. Um, it's been wonderful. I think just getting to know, like hearing, I, I emailed back and forth with, uh, with folks for a good chunk of the summer as I was doing this project, uh, for school about orthodoxy. And I, I've come to the inclination that there, that there's a lot that I can learn. Hmm. Well, that is a good place for any human being to be at, to know that there's a lot that you can learn from somebody else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast, because I think there's a lot I can learn from other people and a lot that the listeners can also learn from other people as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's my own self-plug of my uh, project here. (laughs) Uh, So I actually have Jim Payton's book right beside me here. Oh, no way. Uh, The Light Light of the Christian East. So Ah. Uh, I will be asking more about you and your relationship with Orthodox Christianity and and all that. But first, I want to take a step back and ask... Firstly, what do you belong to any active Christian tradition denomination right now? And uh, what is that the one you grew up in? Or what was Christianity like in the home growing up? Right. Yeah. 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 So I'll start with I'll start with Christianity in the home growing up and I'll kind of I'll kind of move towards now. So I grew up uh, in the Christian Reformed Church and uh, sneak peek, I'm still a part of the Christian Reformed Church. yeah, and and so both my parents were uh, educators and are still educators in the uh, in the Reformed Christian education system, uh, which is the private Christian system. Um, and uh, all my all my extended family Christian Reformed. Um, and uh, I I I really appreciate the Reformed tradition, and I've come to a place of really appreciating the Reformed tradition. 
But I think that uh, it was in my high school years and in my early undergrad years that I started meeting a lot of people who were different from me and realizing, oh my gosh, I grew up in a pretty insular community because I went to a Christian Reformed church. I went to a Christian school that was majority Reformed. And um, the, yeah, the, the, the Reformed folks I grew up with were almost entirely Dutch and, which means that we were mostly white and, uh, and we all just kind of spent time with each other. And, and, uh, and I come to understand now, like what, what the, what my ancestors were trying to do when they were developing the Christian education system. But some of the, some of the potential pitfalls were ones that I saw in my life as I looked back, uh, that I really only knew people who were the same as me. Um, so yeah, then I went to Redeemer, which again is majority reformed folks. Oh, and, that's, the, uh, that's the Redeemer's uh, in Hamilton. It's a Dutch yeah, reformed university. It's a Dutch reformed right? university just outside of Hamilton in Ancaster. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a Christian liberal arts college um, that offers bachelor of arts and bachelor of science and uh, bachelor of education as well. Um, so I, and I studied theology there. Um, and it was at that time that, uh, me and the guy that I was dating that I now am married to, Dave, um, started exploring all sorts of different churches in Hamilton um, just because we were interested. We were very, I guess we're just curious as people, which is, I guess, good. <laughs> and so uh, we went to a Catholic Mass and we went to a Quaker church, our Quaker community uh, in in Westdale, and uh, which is outside of Hamilton again. And um all sorts of different evangelical churches because there's a million of them. And uh, um, yeah, I guess just came to an understanding that like, okay, I, uh, what I believe is good and what they believe is good. And, um, and, and yeah, just this sense that we can learn from each other. Um, it was also at that time that I um, discovered um, and started to hang out around a new monastic community in Hamilton called the Greater Ontario House of Prayer, Go Hop. Uh, which started about 20 years ago as a uh, very charismatic Pentecostal uh, prayer community um, where they would pray around the clock um, and do a lot of worship. They were influenced at first by the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, which is a yeah an American charismatic uh, community. Uh, GoHop has this new monastic community in Hamilton has since become very influenced by a more contemplative tradition and by, uh, just general desire for, uh, ecumenicism as well as a heart for justice. And so they've become this, uh, this very, I think they're a funny community. They're hard to explain, but I, I think of them as a missional prayer community. They pray, they love their neighbors, uh, in the Barton street area where they do their praying. Um, and uh, and they practice radical hospitality. Mm-hmm. They're associated with a religious order that I'm actually about to bow into called the Order of the Mustard Seed, um, which is uh, an ecumenical lay dispersed global order um, where people. I think bow. you've got to define some of those terms. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, of course. I'm speaking Christianese. Darn me. It's such a seminary thing to do <laughs> there. Uh, so there. So a religious order uh, means that you. Um, uh, yeah. What's a, what even is a religious order? It's, it's like a, a tr- tradition of people that all sort of practice, uh, the same kind of things or say common the same kind rhythms, of prayers or yeah. Common mm-hmm. rhythms of, of life and prayer and learning and, um, 
yeah, so so religious orders traditionally have been monks and nuns, um, and they've traditionally lived together. Uh, this is a different type of religious order because we don't live together. There's a kind of a a heart, uh, a geographical heart of the community in the UK called Waverley Abbey, but we live all over the world, um, and we just share that common rhythm of life. Uh, we're lay people, which means that we. Uh, it's not that our whole lives are monastic, are like monastic per se. I live in a normal house with a husband and some housemates, and I do normal life, and I have a job and uh, stuff. But I have I have a rule of life that I live to, which means a common kind of set of practices that I share with other people around the globe. Um, yeah, and we're ecumenical, which means that we're cross denominational. My spiritual director is part of the order and she's quite Catholic. Uh, I'm a part of the order and I'm a reformed Protestant. And there's kind of everything in between. Um, when you say that she's quite Catholic, does that mean that she <laughs> does that mean that she's not Catholic but acts like she's Catholic? It means that she uh, she's Catholic, but she's a bit angsty about being Catholic, but she's still Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good question. Okay. okay. Gotcha. <laughs> um yeah. So anyway, I, uh, where, why was I saying all that? Yeah. So I discovered this community and I think that, uh, despite it not being a denomination, it's a, it's very much a, a tradition that I'm a part of and I, it's, it's hard to define it's, but there, there are people around the world who are starting to, to practice this thing that we call new monasticism, which is like, we don't have to be like the monks from a thousand years ago, but, uh, there's something about, uh, monasticism and this tradition of common shared rhythms that include prayer and uh, and care for the neighbor and all this that that we what we we want to maintain. I, I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that said, uh, "What this world needs is a new kind of monasticism." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's uh, that's what I've come to live and and appreciate. Um, but yeah, I still go to uh, a Christian Reformed church plant on Sundays, um, and I and I'm right now kind of. Uh, thinking about ordination in the Christian Reformed Church after I finish my master's degree. Um, Because I have come to, like, I still really appreciate that community. And I've learned more about Reformed theology. And there are things about it. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess, is sort of uh, the idea. Um, But I've, I've come to see a wider lens. So I'm still navigating what that looks like, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that there are a lot of people in my age category that feel the same way. Like, I love what I grew up with, but I also, um, I'm curious. Yeah. 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 No, I hear you. I, have you ever, so you seem to have a positive disposition towards being outward facing and, and seeing the best in the other traditions and, and things like that. Yeah. Have you had any experiences where you've gone with an open mind and heart and you've just been like, all right, this is not for me. I got to walk away. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know if I want to publicly confess. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but I, I, I will. I can, I, I can, I, you uh, can, uh, you can, you can hide the identity and, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I uh, so I was on staff with this new monastic community, GoHop, for three years. Um, and it was wonderful because I shared, uh, I shared a space and I shared a community and I met weekly for a meal and for a meeting with people who, who couldn't, who were so different from me. Um, and there were folks that I, um, that I, uh, 
that I, I was in the community with who, uh, definitely shared extremely different social values to mine and who had sent emails advocating for things that I, I don't really know if I would want to advocate for, like, uh, just, uh, yeah, just, just the opposite end of the kind of, I guess, political spectrum. And that's, that plays into their theology and, uh, and I'm like, well, we're supposed to be a, a community of justice, <laughs> but we all have a different definition of what justice is. And um, uh, yeah, and just the way they would speak about certain neighbors or certain, um, uh, yeah, certain, certain, certain issues that for me were, were personal, but for them were more political, if that makes sense. Um, and it was so challenging. And I remember, so I took a, a, four week break, uh, uh, a year before I left staff. Um, and I, I ended up leaving staff on very good terms and I, um, and I left because I had a career change, but, uh, uh, I remember I took a four week break and I, I went with my husband on a road trip and we went to the ocean and I remember sitting by the ocean, watching the waves turn. And I was just like, God, I could not be more angry at this person. Like I just, don't understand them. And I don't think I ever will. And, uh, why do I have to share space with them? Um, and I was reading, uh, I was reading community and growth by Jean Vanier, um, which really kicked my butt. It was exactly what I needed and it hurt. You know what I mean? (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, he talks about like loving the stranger and how that, you know, when I think of that, then I think about Micah House, my time with refugee claimants. And I think about um, people who have different life experiences. But sometimes the stranger is actually the person who's the closest to you, but is just can be more different from you. <laughs> and uh, and I thought about some of these folks that I share, uh, that I share space with at GoHop. And I thought about how uh, how different we are. And I was like, okay. I think that I'm ready to learn this lesson now. And uh, I think that what I learned was that like, uh, uh, it's, it's actually, it's kind of easy to like pay lip service to making space for people who are different from you, whether that be theologically or otherwise. Um, but co- going down to the nitty gritty of it and, uh, and really having those hard conversations, um, and still coming to a place where you're like, yeah, I can like look you in the eye every week and, and we're good. Um, that's really different. That's, that's different than just sort of reading about people and being like, we're different, but that's okay. You know? Um, yeah, I think that's kind of the difference in our world today. We talk a lot about tolerance and, uh, you can be tolerant of someone, but still not love them. Uh, but I think it's that long obedience of like, um, really pushing through that, uh, that creates that more authentic space of like, we're actually good. And, and I actually love you, even though, um, even though we disagree. Um, yeah. So it, it seems that a lot of your, so you study theology, mm-hmm. but you also have quite an open heart and an open mind and an outward facing stance, it seems. Try my but, best. But yeah, right. But but I, I'm assuming that your study of theology has also led you to continue to fight to be that way. Yeah. Whereas I do think that a lot of people use theology and the and the kind of the book study of theology and dogma and divinity or whatever 
and they use it as a weapon mm-hmm. uh, or as a way of uh, delineating in and out people yeah. uh, or a way of saying, well, I am smart enough to now know why we are different than those people, yeah. right? Uh, that, you know, we are different than the Catholics because A, no immaculate conception, B, that, you know, and you can like list the dogma differences and then you can think, ah, now I know I am different because I know a couple of canons yeah. from church history. So I guess my question to you is, why study theology? Right. Well, I think I need to think about that. <laughs> um yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I actually wonder about that for real all the time. Why am I doing this? Why am I like actually spending all this time and money on studying something? Um, yeah, that you're right. Can it can it can become a, a weapon? Um, yeah, I, I think that I constantly try. So uh, one thing that's actually been so helpful is uh, studying part time while also being in ministry. Um, with, you know, like having a job that I go to where I'm actually talking to real people who don't know all these funny words, like lay ecumenical dispersed religious order. Like, (laughs) they're like, what the heck is that? And I'm like, perfect. I need more people like that who, uh, who ground me and help me see, like, first of all, like, it's important. Like, sometimes I've, I've had train rides home from Toronto where I'm like, wrestling with something I learned in systematics. And then I'm like, it's not that this isn't important. It's that it's not urgent like why don't you just i don't know uh yeah and and the and the real goal is loving god and loving others and 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 the real the real heart of christianity is simple it's not this complicated thing that you need to spend 12 weeks learning about and in class and 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 it's not that those things aren't important but they're just not they're not the first thing um and then i always keep on the front of my mind uh something that I thought a lot about at the beginning of my degree. Um, well, I'll just, I'll talk about the beginning of my degree. It was, it was really challenging. I uh, knew that I wanted to keep studying cause I do love it, but I had an experience, I guess you could call it a mystical experience. Whenever I hear other people talk about mystical experiences, I always get kind of skeptical. I'm like, what really? But I, I, you know, when you actually live it, you're like, no, they're really, like, they happen. They happen to people. <laughs> Um, I went on a, on a hiking trip, um, in Algonquin and I spent almost an entire week alone with my husband, who's deeply introverted and hardly talked to me. (laughs) And so you could always call it a a week long silent retreat. And I read, uh, Annie Dillard, Dillard's book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, which is, it wrecked me. It's so beautiful. It's, I don't even have words. Uh, and, and it's just, it's this book about the intricacies of creation and, uh, and all the things that we cannot understand about the natural world um, and, and just how complex it is and how that's so beautiful. Uh, and she kind of says it without saying it. She, she just shares about her experiences uh, following this creek behind her house and all the things that she sees there. Um, and you're probably wondering what this has to do with theological education, but I'm going to get there. Um, she, in her last chapter, she says, the gaps are the thing. The gaps are the spirit's one true home. Uh, and uh, after having read that whole book about all the, all the things you cannot know, you're just like, the gaps are the thing. Yeah. And uh, 
And there's this, there's this quote from, I think it's Henry Nouwen, actually, who says, theological education is the gradual and often painful discovery that God is incomprehensible. And so I think uh, I, can then, I can then go into my seminary settings, uh, and so many things are said so definitively. And it's not that there aren't definitive things, but it's that they're not the thing. The gaps are the thing. And, um, so if there's a difference between me and you, or if there's a difference between me and that person who drives me insane at GoHop, <laughs> bless her heart. Um, well, what about all the things that we don't know? And what about all the things that you know that I don't? And, uh, and that's the thing. That's the thing that we all share in common. We all have things that we, that we think we know that we disagree with each other on, but we all have things that we don't know. Um, and, and that can kind of be unifying. Um, so I, it's, it's hard. I think that, I think that in some ways, theological education can shape you to be someone that's less loving than you were at the beginning, which is deeply ironic. And I think problematic. Um, but it's, it's important to maintain that posture of, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot, but there's so much I still don't know. And, and keeping that on the front of my mind is what gives me an ability to be more soft with people yeah yeah feel my my theological degree it helped me learn how much i don't know that's right right and and i think that that is where the rubber hits the road when you actually deal with people in real life yeah it is to understand that you don't know one, one of the prayers uh during a eucharistic service in the orthodox church we thank god for all all that he has uh, manifested to us, like all that he has given to us, but all that he's not revealed to us, right? For all his gifts mm. manifest or, or unseen. Uh, and yeah, that's that's uh, that's really important. And I think a lot of these theological terms and words, well, first of all, they're they're even bounded by the language we speak, right? There's absolutely like when we say the word God, that isn't. God himself, it's, it's a word we use to try and capture a communal understanding of something. And yeah, anyways. Um, yeah, well, let's move on to maybe uh, another question here. Um, so <clears throat> uh, would there be a moment in your life that you would characterize as a conversion experience? That's a really good question. I uh, I didn't really grow up with language of conversion experience. I think that, uh, uh, in some ways that's what kind of differs, uh, between, uh, reformed thinking and evangelical thinking is that, um, like we're baptized as infants. And so, uh, what we kind of aim to understand in, in baptizing as infants is that, God started walking with us as infants and we're, um, we're spending a lifelong journey understanding what his covenant with us means. And so I, I yeah. And, I, and, and yeah, I guess some reformed folks would, would still, uh, talk about a conversion moment, but my, my family and my upbringing, we, we didn't really, uh, speak to that. I have had pretty significant, I think that some of the significant moments of like coming to understand who God is again, actually, I think yeah, it's interesting as we're talking, I, I, 
a lot of it has come from speaking with people who are different from me. And, and maybe that just comes from, from the fact that I grew up in a pretty, um, yeah, kind of closed environment of people who were all the same. Um, but my, my older brother, um, and now my younger brother too, have gotten involved in a ministry called deeds, which is kind of a lame name. I think, <laughs> but it's this group of folks who uh, go from from Redeemer University and from other settings down to uh, the urban core here in Hamilton, and they just hand out hot chocolate to anyone who's walking by um, and just chat with them. And there's not really an agenda per se, but they're just sort of looking to listen and hear. And a lot of street involved folks uh, will come by and gather. Um, and some of my most significant kind of early memories of being like, okay, like this God person we're talking about, they're, they're real and um, active and I'll have these, uh, these kind of conversations that feel like they're transcendent and feel like they're not kind of uh, random, that they're, uh, um, that they're bigger than me. And, uh, and, and those were really, really meaningful for me. And I, I think that it also kind of a, awakened in me an understanding that the world is an unjust place and that there's a, there's room for me to be a part of the healing of all things. Um, you know, people who are sleeping out in the cold when it's like negative degrees and you're just like, this isn't fair. Like this isn't, uh, yeah, this isn't fair. So, so, so reading, uh, so having those experiences and then uh, reading a book that a lot of evangelicals were very moved by in the early 2000s, which was called uh, The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne, um, really awoke me to, okay, I, th I think that a huge part of my vocation as a follower of Jesus is going to be uh, caring for people who are living on the margins and who have stories that are different than mine. Yeah. So those are some of my early memories. And, I, and I, I very much see those early memories as being what led me then to live for two years at Micah House and care for newly arrived refugee claimants and uh, just continuing to um, actively serve in my neighborhood in that way. Yeah. So why are you Christian as opposed to any other faith tradition? Like, What, what is it about Christianity that keeps you there? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that uh, the easy answer can be, well, that was what was handed down to me. <laughs> but the more complicated that, answer. That, that's part, that's part of it though. It like always I, is. Yeah. Anytime, anytime anyone ever asks me why I'm a Christian, I say, because my parents are Christian. That's yeah. the first thing I say. And that sounds so trivial, doesn't it? But I think that not acknowledging that is, uh, is disingenuous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that Jesus, I think it's just Jesus. I just love Jesus. I, uh, I, uh, I've, I've fallen in love again recently with the gospels. Jesus is so cool. He, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he lives so different. And, and I've been spending a lot of time in the sermon on the Mount, which is uh, part of scripture that us new monastics, uh, spend a lot of time in. And, uh, and the call to discipleship there is, is I think that, that what it is, is, you know what Christianity is? It's, it's filled with challenge, but it's also filled with grace. Um, and the, the calls are high, right? Love your enemy, right? Speaking again to, to these people that drive me insane. Love them. Oh my gosh, that hurts. That's hard. Um, 
and uh, and pray for those who persecute you and uh, and uh, or or uh, reading again recently the story of the rich young ruler and Jesus is like sell all your possessions like that's all and you're like right that's all <laughs> sure um, I still don't get that passage and I love it I love it I've read, read, read it my whole life but I'm still only understanding now like and and now in part um, yeah yeah the person of Jesus I I could definitely spend the rest of my life thinking about him and and who he is who he was yeah do you have to have christianity to have jesus hmm yeah i mean that's an interesting question i uh i live with a guy who grew up islamic and uh he still loves the muslim faith but he also loves jesus and so I think that the answer that I would probably learn in the seminary classroom is you can you can understand Jesus through the lens of faith. Um, but then I think about him and I'm like, I don't know, like, I think I think he kind of understands Jesus. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know, Father Gary. <laughs> that's that's a good answer. I don't know. That's a that's a good, uh, good answer. <clears throat> uh, so aside from. Jesus, what other kind of more ancient historical figures in Christianity or maybe other faiths have you ever read slash were interested in their story and such? Does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. There are lots. Um, yeah. I'm always I'm always really really interested in Desert Fathers. I haven't read as much about about their work, or I haven't read as much of their work as I've read about their work, which I I don't appreciate. Like I I want to learn more about them uh, from them. Uh, but figures like Saint Athanasius uh, is so interesting, um, and uh, some of those early guys who went out into the desert and. Uh, Again, like the rich young ruler, like they, they would read passages like that and they would be like, I don't think this is a joke. Like, I think I have to go. <laughs> and I'm like, mm -hmm. I think you're right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, yeah, the, the, the early monastics. Again, I, I hope that there's a day when I can just like read through all their stuff firsthand. But until then, I'm I'm always so interested to read about them. And um, mm -hmm. and just I think I think that what really strikes me about about the early church fathers and mothers. I always say church fathers, but shame on me. There were mothers too. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, is that, uh, yeah, they, they saw that Christianity was becoming less subversive than Jesus made it out to be. And so that was what drew them to something alternative. Cause I think that I feel that for myself. I think that, um, you know, going back to some of my early experiences of being in a rather insular community where we, um, most of us were living in privilege and we were going to private education and we were spending Sundays with each other, but then, you know, the rest of the week and we weren't meeting people who were different from us and, um, and things were, things were kind of status quo, I guess you could say. And I think it was these experiences that things like deeds downtown handing out hot chocolate. And then, you know, later in life, like, um, at Micah house and these other spaces that it was like, I can't just go back to my private education and my house in the suburbs. Like I, something's got to change. 
So I think that's what I share with the Desert Fathers. And I think that's what draws me to new monasticism is like something's got to change. Like it can't be, it can't be just this, this status quo. Um, yeah. What is it about your upbringing or your, what, like, why do you think that way? Like, why do you want to, like, so many Christians are content to just live out their faith at home and live in their, I don't know, like, not have, not feel the need to really go out of their way to live in such an intentional way. Like, why, what is it about you that, that wants that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's proximity with need. It's proximity with, uh, people who have needs. I think that, uh, um, it can be so easy to live a life, you know, whether you're religious or not, it can be so easy to live a life where you are going to work and you're coming home at the end of the day, you're making yourself some food, then you're watching TV, then you're going to bed and that's just what you do, you know? And then you go to church on Sunday, but like, what does that have to do with the rest of life? And, and there, there isn't adequate discipleship to understand that. And, uh, and I think that proximity always changes people. Um, I, so now I work for a discipleship program called Act Five, uh, where I work with 18-year-olds coming out of university, coming out of high school uh, before they go off to university or whatever's next. They spend a year um, learning about uh, the Christian faith and about uh, scripture, and they live in intentional community in a house together, and they just learn about their world. And one of the significant things that we teach our students uh, because we want to be a place-based program that cares about the place that we're in is we teach them about um, what the, what Canadians did and what uh, specifically the church did um, to the indigenous peoples of Canada and uh, the residential schools and things like that. And that's what I hear from my students time after time is like, if I had only known this and now that I do, I, I can't go back to the way things were. And, and so sitting with people who are indigenous and hearing their stories, like you can't go back. Um, so that's how I feel is, um, spending two years with all my housemates being newly arrived refugee claimants. Like I can never go back now that I know, you know, what it's like to have a refugee experience from them, um, or to, to hear a little bit about what that's like. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus, uh, Jesus exemplifies that, right? Like he spent all his time with, uh, prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors and all these people. And, uh, um, yeah. So I, I think he exemplifies proximity. I think the incarnation exemplifies proximity. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> how, how do you, evangelize or share your faith in a, in a time when we live in a culture in which sharing your faith is so closely associated with like colonialism or um, kind of the church coming in with a heavy hand and forcing faith down the throats of, of everyone. Now we live post that, but how, how do we, how do we as Christians share our faith without doing that? Does that question make sense? Yeah, that question totally makes sense. I have no idea. Again, this isn't, I don't know. I, I, I spend like a decent amount of time. Well, I spend a lot of time with people who, who, uh, don't share my faith background to me. And I, and I live with a gentleman who, who doesn't share my faith background to me. 
And most of the time I have no idea. So I usually just don't. So I'm just being transparent. I have no idea how to evangelize. I'd love to learn more about how to do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I am doing, maybe this is enough. I don't know. But then I think that, yeah, maybe there's just like a, a guilt trip at the back of my head being like, Nina, you're doing a terrible job. And shame on you. And yeah, you just suck. Like, no, no, no. I think that, I think that maybe, maybe, maybe what I'm doing, if I'm doing anything is just like being present. And then what's nice? Like, I mean, yeah, I guess. So my neighbor, for example, so my neighbor, her name is Marianne and uh, she's hilarious. She's so fun. She, uh, she really just says things how they are. Uh, she's very crass and I love it. And, she, you know, she's like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a theology student and I work in spiritual care. And she's like, well, F that. <laughs> like, I think that she just hasn't met a, a young person who cares about their faith, which I get it. I mean, like, yeah. It's a lot of older people who are holding mm -hmm. on to it and a lot of people my age who are not holding on to it. Um, but I just, yeah. I don't know, I guess I just tell her about it. I just, I just am like, yeah, this is what I do. Like, I just, I sit with people. I, I hear their spiritual story and I, I pray with them if they want it. Um, and she's like, okay, well, that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> so I don't know, I guess, I guess maybe when I think of evangelism, I think of like having people come to church with me or like, I don't know, like having a moment of conversion and being like, yeah, I think I want what you have, Nina. And like, can you tell me how to say the sinner's prayer? And then I do that with them. But like, that doesn't happen. I mostly just hang out with people, I guess. And, and maybe that's enough. Although I don't, I don't, I wouldn't use the word evangelizing when I think about those things, but I guess maybe they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the amount of like raised eyebrows I get when I tell people that I'm a priest. <laughs> Like, you can't be a priest you're not old they're like they're like you <laughs> okay well. yeah. uh yeah. or or you get the older catholic ladies right who love yeah. that i'm a priest bless your heart yeah yeah yeah, yeah. My, my barber kevin his mom is a uh, goes to like saint patrick's catholic yeah. church in hamilton yeah. and i told her one time that uh, well, Kevin told her that I was a priest and she just like lost it. Was so happy. That's nice. Was so happy. She she brought me a present the next time she no, saw me. That's awesome. Yeah. She's just so happy that I that a young person is interested. Right. Cute. Um, yeah. But then I also get um I also had an interaction yesterday when I was working at the barber shop where somebody um I, I, I said, Yeah, like I'm a priest. And I, also for those that don't know, I'm I'm slowly trying to apply to be a chaplain for the reserves oh awesome uh, he, here in uh at the armory in hamilton awesome and he was like oh chaplain like what is uh, why I, I guess i guess there are still some people who need religion oh no way he said exactly that <laughs> yeah and i'm like i'm like and I, and I told him well i told him i was like well like, everybody is religious <laughs> like yeah. whether you're you go to church or not it's just sometimes people are religious about their shopping or their football or their yep. or their jesus or their whatever um so anyways that was but those those are great conversations to have just so people can see how different people actually live their life yeah yeah um, yeah i agree uh we are coming up to the end of our public episode uh so 
Before I get to my last question for you for the public episode, I want to give a couple of the questions I'm going to ask in the Patreon-only episode. Uh, Primarily, actually, the one big one is um, you've now come to a couple of services in the Orthodox Church. Is that right? Yeah. Or just one? Yeah, I went to All Saints, and now I've been to St. Maria. Yeah. Awesome. So so I'm going to ask about your experience Oh, like how how that was, how did that all work? Uh, we'll get we'll do a deep dive into your experience of your first couple uh, Orthodox services, uh, and then I'm going to ask uh, the the no nonsense reasons why you're not Orthodox, right? What what are the aspects <laughs> of Orthodoxy that are just like, you know what? Like I just can't go to a church that does this this or or this or whatever whatever it might be. Um, so those are you know if you want to hear those answers, become a patron. Uh, but, uh, to end off our show here, I guess that, that whole question of a human, like a humanistic community. So these communities that exist, but even though you might not necessarily believe the same things, you're still able to see in the other, the, the Christian faith or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. What do you think that people, what do you think people still need to hold in common in terms of beliefs and doctrines for those communities to still function? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting question. Really interesting question. I think uh, when I think of that question, I think of uh, the true city movement, which is a movement of uh, right now it's only Protestant churches. um, But there's certainly like an interest in, in widening that, but it's, it's culture city and it's a movement of churches who are working together for the good of the city. Um, and they're really, I think, wrestling with that right now because, uh, uh, they're starting to sit around the table and talk about things that are really hard to talk about that, you know, these, these, these hot button issues that, uh, that are, uh, so polarizing, um, about, about theology, but also about, you know, how we practice our faith, uh, in the public square. And, uh, and so I, I can tell you, like, I, I could say like, um, you know, it's really just the apostles creed and, uh, or the Nicene creed or, or these, uh, these creeds that most of us are able to say without crossing our fingers. And I, and I would love to be able to say, that's really it. Um, but I, I think it's really challenging. You know, I think of myself, I'm a, a woman going into ministry and uh, many of the churches that uh, would have been a part of the Christian, like the, the Christian Reformed Church now is allowing women to pursue ordination, but that's very recent. And there are many churches that would never hire me. Um, and so can I share a space with them? <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I might be a woman pastor in a couple of years. Um, I already do pastoral work and that, that would offend some people. Um, and so when it gets down to the practical, I, I, again, I guess it's like, I don't know. Um, because there, there, there have to be some things about our praxis that are also shared for us to be able to share space. Um, yeah, but I, I would hope, I mean, I mean, at GoHop, we just say it's the Nicene Creed. It's just, you know, we believe Godfather. God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and we believe Jesus changed everything when He died and rose again, and that's kind of what—that's where we're at. And it's as simple as that. Um, but um, yeah, when it, when it comes down to, to the practice of living in community, I I don't want to oversimplify it. 
Yeah. If you'd like to listen to the second half of this interview, you can head over to patreon.com slash priest. Your support is what makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside?